Amen. You may be seated. Such appropriate songs for what's going on this morning. Uh, I absolutely love that last one. Uh, Jesus in my place. Amen. David said I had 20 minutes. All right. So somebody uh, just kind of do the thing at 20 minutes. All right. But uh, it should be fine because uh, this sermon, I got it. Cheapsermons.com was like 19 minutes. So don't worry. I'm just kidding. On uh, May 5th, 1868, General John Logan, he was the national commander of the Grand Army of the Republic. Don't shoot me. He wrote, uh, he wrote this, The 30th of May, 1868, is designated for the purpose of strewing with flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country during the late rebellion and whose bodies not lie in almost every city, village, and hamlet, churchyard in the land. He actually uh, introduced a new day to our country called Decoration Day to commemorate the soldiers who had given their lives in battle. In about a month and a half, uh, we're actually going to celebrate this holiday, uh, which is now called Memorial Day. Bill Clinton, in 2000, actually signed a memorandum that's stating at 3 p.m., on every Memorial Day, we should pause for 60 seconds as a nation and, and stop everything, stand still, and remember the troops that have fallen before us. Uh, counselors and, and psychologists actually say that if you want to move forward, you often at times have to look backwards. And so this morning, this is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to take a trip down our spiritual memory lane and we're going to see what God showed us in the past. And we're actually going to draw fuel from what he did on the cross and how he changed our lives. And that is going to propel us forward. And we're going to live for the mission that he has for us because of what he did for us in the past. And so we are going to take a look back this morning. And isn't the present and the future informed by the past? This is how it happens. We don't want to make the same mistakes. We don't want to fall in the same, in the same potholes or in the same uh, gutters. So we are going to look back. We're going to look at the cross, and then we're going to move forward. So as we approach the Lord's Supper, I want our church to stand still, to pause, and remember the way that Jesus altered your life with the gospel. And in remembering and in looking back at that, what he rescued us from, it's going to push us forward to the mission that he saved us for. All right. So scripture shows us this morning, I want to see two things. I pretty much already said it. <laughs> uh, we're going to see two things. The Lord's Supper implores us to never forget the gospel. And the Lord's Supper excites us to share that gospel. If you guys look to... 1 Corinthians uh, 11. We're going to jump into verse 17. Uh, we don't have time to get into all the head covering stuff, but the official position of the church is that all women should cover their heads with hats at church. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. We don't have an official position about that. But let's go ahead and read these verses. Verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. When you come together, it's not for the Lord's Supper that you eat 
For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill. Some have even died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, brothers, when you come together and eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions <clears throat> when I come. All right, a little backstory here. David has walked us all the way through, uh, up until this point, walked us through 1 Corinthians. And we've seen this as a church with some issues, all right? They're involved in some weird sexual sin. They're involved in a misunderstanding of the church, of Christianity. They have just relational issues out the wazoo. They are struggling really on every front. And Paul brings up another one now. He brings us to this idea of the Lord's table, communion. And he comes right out of the gates and he says, I cannot commend you for the way that you guys come together. It's actually for the worse. It's actually morally evil. It's like, I don't know, it's like the IRS and the Russian mafia coming together. Like, what good can come of that, all right? When you guys come together, it's for evil. It's for the worse. He says, you come together as a church, there are divisions, so you guys are not united. There's something about the Corinthian church that when they come together, they're, they're just bringing their baggage. They're just, it's just all coming out. Nobody's showing any restraint. No one's showing any control of the Holy Spirit. It's just like, here we are in all of our mess. They're showing up to grandma's funeral and a wife beater, and they're showing up to prom in the shorts. It's that kind of group, you know? <clears throat> but they are not united as well. Paul actually says the factions are necessary for us to see the genuine Christians. So you guys are coming up in this, this un, undivided church, and now I can actually see who, who loves the Lord and who doesn't. But guys, the church, we are all supposed to be united, all right? We're supposed to be united in, in purpose, united in what we worship and the object of our affection. We come together, and we come for Jesus. We come for God to work, right? This is the church. There shouldn't be these factions. We should look at the church across the room and say, man, I would never hang out with you in any other scenario, <laughs> But I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad that the blood of Jesus covers you as well as it does me. Man, I, I ran into some of the, the best teaching on the church this week. Um, and, and, and this pastor was preaching and he said, how can you not love certain people in the church? Right? We have the body of Christ. And anyone who believes, anyone covered in the blood of Jesus is in that same body of Christ right? They're all believers. So how can you look to Jesus, his body, and say, I love you in all that you are except your toe? Your toe is hideous. I hate that toe. Guys, we don't have that option in the church. 
We don't have the option to look across the room as well and say, man, that one, nope. <laughs> too weird, too weird smelling, too weird looking, too weird sounding, just too weird. That girl's got purple hair. Never. <laughs> he goes on to call out the church. They're not thoughtful. The church just isn't thoughtful. One person goes ahead and eats and gets full and is almost gluttonous. The other person shows up and goes hungry. They're not even thinking about others. This is complete selfish mindset. They're inappropriate. One's, one's get, going ahead and eating and getting drunk. You don't have houses to eat in, Paul says. This is, like, you're not even trying to hide it anymore. You're coming to church and you're getting drunk or you are coming to church drunk. You're not even worried about who's going to see, who's going to find out. If how that stacks up in front of a righteous and holy God, you're not even worried about it. It's inappropriate. You think, and he even goes on to say that you think you're partaking of the Lord's Supper, but you are just eating a meal. There is nothing spiritual about what you're doing. You are making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. This, 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 this thing that the Lord ordained that he put in the church for us to, to take and, and to use to remember, to recall to look back at the gospel and, and say, thank you. You guys are showing up just like you're going to Granny's funeral in a, in a wife beater. It's inappropriate. Don't make a mockery of, of communion. So they obviously have some serious attitude issues, some serious heart problems that, that Paul draws out of the text here. And what I love about the Bible period, but especially about Paul here, is he's going to bring it down now to the source all right, he's going to bring, it, he's going to bring the, the source of their grumbling, the source of their inappropriateness was ultimately, it was, it was directed at Jesus. When you take the Lord's Supper casually, like this isn't really, this is just kind of some Christian motions I go through, you're ultimately mocking Jesus. Because you're looking back at the cross and you're saying, that was, that was kind of cool, I guess. Like how does that have relevance for me today? And you're mocking Jesus, but what Paul does here is he actually brings Jesus front and center says, let's, let's talk about this. For I received from the Lord, in verse 23, what I also delivered to you. He's saying, all right, this is from God. I'm not making this up. And we're going to start to see a shift in tone. So the first 17 through 22, he calls out the Corinthian church. Now he's going to make a little, a little shift here, and he's going to draw our attention to the Lord, and he's going to cause our eyes and our focus to go to Jesus now, all right? He's going to talk about the, the Last Supper with Jesus in the upper room and how he, he gave them all communion. And before he headed on his way to Golgotha, where he was crucified for our sins. <clears throat> but he wants us to look at Jesus. And this, verse 23, is now setting the tone. Okay? By bringing us back to the source, back to the foundation of the church, the cornerstone, Jesus he is setting the tone right now, right? So you guys are just inappropriate. You're selfish. What are you doing here? You don't care what people are thinking. You, you don't care if you're a stumbling block to others. You don't care if you're the glutton, if you take everything and you leave a little measly cracker for someone else. You don't care. All right, that is too much of a casual mindset. Let's look to Jesus. It's almost like there are certain words that just grab people's attention, and, and there are certain words and, and phrases that people just like stop in the room, get silent, right? I'm just going to try this out, okay? My, my, my uh, professor in college said, if you ever want to get young people's attention, you just say the word sex. Some laughed and some were like, oh, he just said that. <laughs> Abortion. It works. 
It works. You grab, you say certain things, and it draws everyone's attention. Okay, what you saying now? What's going on? And Paul does this. He goes, you guys, you're, you're focused. You guys are everywhere right now. But let's, let's, Jesus. This is directly from the Lord. This is from God. This is his plan for the Lord's Supper. Two things. It implores us to never forget the gospel. And it excites us to share the gospel. All right, let's look at never forgetting. Another way we could say that is to remember your deliverer. Verse 24 says this, when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he takes the unleavened bread, leaven me, leaving out the yeast, the leaven, which represented sin and iniquities. Jesus is the pure lamb of God. We leave that out. He's, he's saying, this is my body. And he broke it. And then he said, this is for you. This is for you. Now, if you came to me with a broken car for me, I would be confused. <clears throat> Why are you bringing me a broken car? <clears throat> I am not a mechanic. Maybe you come to me with a broken bone, I'm completely useless. I got nothing to offer you, all right? If you come to me with a broken marriage, maybe a Band-Aid, maybe you could point you back to the Word, but I'm not the love doctor, in most cases, something that is broken is rendered useless temporarily or permanently. But here, when Jesus offers himself to us broken, it makes us whole eternally. That's our Jesus. Broken for me and for you. I'm drawn to this phrase, for you, those two words there. For you, and I, I think, <clears throat> I think we could he could mean two things by that statement. For you, one, I think he was broken for me, for you, in that he was substituted for me, for you. This is speaking directly to the heart of the gospel. Another way we could say this is just what we sang about this morning: Jesus in my place. I'm the one that deserves the sinner's death. I deserve the punishment. I deserve to carry the burden of my guilt. I've done so much wrong at this point in my life that, that I, should, I should have to work that off. I should have to carry that weight on my own shoulders. No, 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 no. Jesus for you. Right there. It's, this says it's, he's broken for you. For you. Substituted in your place, in the place of me. So instead of being the one that does carry his own guilt, the one that does carry the weight of my sins that I've committed for almost 30 years on my shoulders, no, 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 it's, it's now I stand before Jesus covered in his blood, forgiven, redeemed, justified, made alive, raised up, transposed from darkness to light, saved. Is that you? Is that you? Redeemed. Guys, this is at the heart of the gospel. This is at the heart of the Lord's Supper that we're doing here. It's Jesus in my place. And the more we can taste that, the more we can recall that and rehearse that truth, the deeper and deeper that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is going to drive us into a walk with Jesus. This is Galatians 2.20 kind of stuff. I have been crucified with Christ. 
And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Jesus, for you, in your place, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is 1 Peter 3.18 kind of stuff. Christ also died for sins once for all the just, the just, for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Broken for you. I think there's another way that could potentially be understood here. He's broken for you in the sense that he has substituted for you in your place. I think he's also broken for you in that he's meant to be received by you. All right? and this also speaks to directly to the heart of the gospel. Jesus offers himself to anyone who calls on his name. Anyone who comes to Jesus in faith, believing the gospel, it's for you. The sacrifice that Jesus made was for you. Not necessarily in your place now, but like this is something for you to accept, for you to receive, for you to take this. Take this. It's for you. He came to save, right? Came to save the lost and to serve others. It's, it's for you. Take the sacrifice. Accept my sacrifice. God the Father accepted the sacrifice. This is for you. So all who are hungry, come eat. All who thirst, come drink. Let Jesus take your pain. Let Jesus take that sin. He is for you. So come and eat. Come and dine with the master today. Believe him. Run to him. Embrace him. Receive him. It's like Jesus is now the one saying, give me that guilt. Give me that burden, that pain, that, the scars, the hurt. Give it to me. I'm for you. I'm for you. The sacrifice is for you. Accept it. Receive it. Stop trying to work it off. I took the punishment. It's for you. Man, what a God we have who says, I'm for you. What a God we have that before the foundations of the world set his love on someone like me. What a kind of God we have that would walk with me along every bend in the road, that would never leave. What a God we serve that loves us that much. I'm for you. Jesus also mentions this new covenant. I'll just briefly, for time's sake, uh, say just a couple things. He says in verse 25, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Same line of thought here. This is in regards to the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus made the sacrifice that ended all other sacrifice. The old covenant, they had to sacrifice goats, lambs, sheep. They had certain parameters. And for all of you like animal lovers, you like go through the Old Testament really cautiously. Like, please don't kill a goat today. <laughs> please don't kill that sheep. <laughs> uh, but this is the old covenant stuff where they, in a sense, they had to win the affection of God through their attempts at righteousness. Now we have the new covenant, which is Jeremiah 31 kind of stuff, where God says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the new covenant kind of stuff, is Christ in me, a personal relationship with Jesus. So I think here, guys, we are called to recall the gospel, to remember our deliverer, okay? 
So when we go to the when we go to take the Lord's Supper, we what we're doing is remembering the gospel, Jesus on the cross in my place, and we lean into that. And we say, thank you, Eucharist. Often what we call the Lord's Supper literally means thanks, thanksgiving. So we, we, we run back to the gospel and we say, thank you so much for loving me and dying in my place. We remember our deliverer. I think it's also important when we come to the Lord's Supper, to communion, to also remember our deliverance. So we remember our deliverer and we remember our deliverance. And what I mean by that is when he saved you, what he saved you from, why he saved you. What about you guys? Where were you when he grabbed your heart? How long did he chase you down with truth you might not have wanted to hear? And grab you and paralyze you. What verses did he use to just stop you in your tracks? Who did he use to influence you? Who was in your life at the time where you came to Jesus? I know for me and my, my wife, I was, we were both with our parents. My dad walked me through what it meant to be a Christian and, and how to ask Jesus into my heart, and I did. I'm forever grateful, literally forever grateful, uh, that he did that. What did he save you from, though? Guys, you don't, you don't always have to have the baddest story around. I, I grew up, my dad was a pastor. I came to know a lot about Jesus when I was four, put my trust in him. Man, my story is so not bad. <laughs> like, it is not that one where people like me look at the guy who's done every drug imaginable, and, you know, he's like lived this crazy life, and I, I look at him, and I, and I go, man, why couldn't I have been that bad? <laughs> I've been awesome, man. I could be like, man, look what he saved me from. <clears throat> no, 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 it doesn't work like this. You, you don't have to have the Alice Cooper kind of story, the Brian Welch kind of story, these hardcore rockers who are known for fame, money, girls trashing their hotel rooms. You don't have to have that story. We're all looking to the same Jesus. And I look at that and I say, God, thank you for sparing me from pain and heartache and decades of it. And those guys look back and they say, man, I got the same Jesus. Thank you for saving me from the pain and the heartache and decades of it. We're looking to the same Jesus, worshiping the same God. And he saved us all. We've offended at one point, we've offended at all. He saved us all from who knows what. <clears throat> Why he saved us? Because our God delights in saving souls. It brings him great glory. The angels rejoice when one sinner comes to repentance. I think a natural response to looking at where you came from and, and the pain that you walked through and recalling some of those memories that you might not want to remember and guys, we should look back and say, thank you. Thank you. So when we come to the altar, when we come to the table today, and guys, the Lord's Supper is intended to remember, and the response that that conjures up is thanks. We thank Jesus. That's why it's often called the Eucharist, like I said. Thank the Lord for saving you. Thank him for saving you for, from what he saved you from, when he saved you, and in the way that he did it. As I wrap this up, let's look at how this excites us to share the gospel in the future now. All right? After you look back and <clears throat> you like what you see, a new man, remade, reborn in it, 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 for God, repurposed, as Colossians tells us, 
remade from the ground up as a Christian now. We should stand in awe that Jesus would save me. It doesn't make any sense, but Jesus in my place, Jesus, thank you. And we look back at that and we get excited. We say, thank you, Jesus. And now I'm, I'm motivated and moved like the phrase we like to use around here all the time. I'm inspired to now share, share the story of redemption with, with others. So I take my past and, and now God redeems it for the future. And he says, use it. Open your mouth. Share the good news about Jesus. Tell people that, that I'm the cure for spiritual cancer. Tell them. Tell them all about it. Love them. As much as I have loved you, pay that forward. Ah, the story of uh, a, a guy, I don't remember all the details. This literally just hit me. He was in a, a broken down, run down, more or less ghetto part of the street of the city. And this this one preacher guy, I call him preacher guy. I don't think he was a pastor. He just went to a church and loved Jesus. He came over to this guy's house on the daily. And there were times where he cleaned up vomit from this guy because he was so drunk. And he couldn't move from his bed. He was so messed up, and it, it just didn't matter to the other guy. He's like, no, I'm going to love you like Jesus loves you. I'm busted into your life, and I'm going to tell you about Jesus, and you're going to let me. <laughs> and he did that. He did this for over a year. This guy shows up every single day to this guy's house to check in on him, to see where he's at, see if he does need to clean him up, see if he does need to offer him some food, and he did. He did it for him. This guy came to know Jesus. And who was a drunk now died redeemed. Guys, that's the gospel. That's the good news. We love that. So we share that. That excites us. That excites us that purple-haired chick can come to know Jesus, right? That excites us that that person that's covered in, in scars can come to know Jesus. That excites us that a habitual liar and an arrogant fool can come and kneel at the foot of Jesus and believe and spend forever with us. That excites us, and so we lean into Jesus. <clears throat> he does say one last thing that I want to point out. He says this in verse 28, because Paul gives us a caution, okay? He warns us. He says, let a person examine himself. Question for you. You say this out loud. Who are you supposed to examine in that verse? <laughs> Let a person examine who? Himself. All right? Examine himself. When we come to the Lord's table, it's not anyone else. It's not your spouse or your sibling. As much as you wish they were in the room, as much as you wish you could nudge them and say, hey, this is for you. No, no, examine himself. All right? We look at your own heart because that person doesn't know what you think all the time. That person, no one else knows the real you, what you do in your spare time doesn't know who you're still mad at, who you can't forgive, who you're really, really bitter at. No one else might know that. So you examine yourself. So when we come and we, we, we offer ourselves to Jesus, examine your heart. Examine your own heart as if you're the only person in the room. And examine yourself as if you're the only person who knows you. Well, my friends say I'm a really good guy. Okay. Well, my family says they, they don't know anyone else who cares for people like I do. Okay. <laughs> uh, at work, I'm known for taking people shifts and staying late. No, no, examine yourself. This is not the time to ride on anyone else's opinions of you. It's you before God. Try me. Search me. Know me. 
See if there's any wicked way in me. I'm all ears, God, because I'm all yours. But if you don't want to examine yourself, don't you dare take communion. <laughs> if you don't want to examine yourself, or if you're going to come to that table casually, as if verses as 17 and 22 explains, if you're going to come like with shorts to the prom, if you're going to come and then you're just kind of lackadaisical about this whole Jesus dying on the cross thing, and this, I'm, gonna, I'm fine to take it because this is just what churches do, right? Like you go to church and everyone goes up front and dips it and eats it. Like that's what you do. It is not meant to be taken so casually. This is remembering our Savior. This is remembering our God. It says anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. There's a whole lot to this. Don't have time to get into it. But when you do not examine yourself and you come to the Lord's Supper with the similar attitude that the Corinthians did, God holds the right to discipline you as he pleases. You say he already does that, right? You're right. Okay. He already holds that right. But I repeat, he opposes the proud. You say, this isn't eternal judgment in mind. It's corrective judgment. This isn't condemning a murderer. This is correcting a child. That's what we're talking about discipline-wise. <clears throat> but we know this to be true because Jesus chastens those he loves. And guys, this morning, Jesus stands ready to forgive those who will humble themselves and come to him. Let's remember the gospel. Our God, who is rich in mercy, who stood in our place, invites us to press into him, to give our lives to him. So as we take this time and as, as we look back on our spiritual walk down memory lane, let's fix our gaze on the God who saved you and saved me. On May 27th, at 3 p.m., our nation will stop for 60 seconds and we will give respect to those who died battling for our freedoms as we celebrate Memorial Day. This morning, guys, let's stand still as a church for at least 60 seconds and let's recall the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Jesus. If our nation can have 60 seconds of remembrance, our country can do that, how much more so should the church stop everything and remember Jesus as we celebrate a supper for our souls?